don't invest in something because it's sexy. Like you hear about, you know, 50 cent making a gazillion dollars off vitamin water. Like don't go buy a water company because you think that's sexy or throwing all your money into Bitcoin or GameStop right now because that sounds cool. The boring investments are going to do better justice for you. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset Show. This is a podcast about the financial, money, and recreational mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset Show and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Greg Camarillo, a retired NFL wide receiver and currently the coordinator of student-athlete development at the University of San Diego. Greg Camarillo is well-known for receiving a 64-yard touchdown pass in overtime from Cleo Lemon in 2007 against the Baltimore Ravens to lead the Miami Dolphins to victory. Following his eight-year NFL career, Greg earned a master's degree in educational leadership at San Diego State University and moved into the role of the coordinator of student-athlete development, something he always wanted to do, working with other collegiate athletes. Greg is also an on-air analyst for NBC7 San Diego, regularly appearing on Football Night in San Diego and Sports Rap OT. Listen in as Greg shares insights into the NFL and the life as a player and planning for after the game. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Greg Camarillo, retired NFL wide receiver and currently the coordinator of student athlete development at the University of San Diego. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Larry, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's awesome to have you here. And just to uh, give our listeners an idea, you know, you had a nice career in the NFL. Everybody always wonders, you know, what's involved? You know, what was your path to making it there? Yeah, I uh, definitely not the common path. So I was, I was a walk-on going to college thinking that maybe I'll get a play in college and that would be happy to have ever touched the field. And then had a decent career. But then at the end of my college career, I was not a draft guy. I was not a combine guy. I was not really going to get much attention. And through a connection, I got a chance to try out with the San Diego Chargers. So I was given five practices over three days at a mini camp to prove my worth, was able to show that I, I had enough promise. And that got an invite to training camp. And then from there, made the practice squad and the next year made the team. So it was quite a journey, but I was given a lot of great opportunities and just capitalized each time I, I got one. That's awesome. You know, you're the second NFL player that we've had on this show, which I, I think you know him, uh, Elijah Holder, we had on the show earlier, and he had a similar path. He wasn't drafted. He kind of made his way onto the team. And I think it's ironic that we've had two people like that on the show, but that's not really a common path to making it there, is it? No, no, not at all. So of the year that I had a tryout, there are probably 15 guys they bring as tryout position and I was the only one I think that got signed and they need bodies for, for mini camp. You don't want your vets out there getting beat up. You're a future hall of famer. So they just bring in these random bodies, but it's, it's a shot and it's not a good shot, but all you ask is for a little bit of opportunity and you got to try to capitalize on that. And the holder and I have in common is our Stanford guys. And so I, right. I always like 
I take a lot of pride in the fact that Stanford guys, in my mind, are very driven individuals because you're trying your best at school and you're trying your best at your sport. And I think that when you give somebody like that an opportunity, they're going to use that same drive to capitalize on that opportunity. Not saying guys from other schools couldn't do it as well, but right. that's just my promoting Stanford guys as well. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, did you th- even think for a moment when you made it through that tryout, you made it to the team that you were going to have the career that you had? Or, you know, did you think, oh, man, this is great, but I, I don't know how this long this is going to last and I'm going to have to make the most of it? Oh, yeah. Every step of the way, I thought that was the end of the road. So I, <laughs> I get my I'm, my mini camp tryout. This is in 2005. So, my, you know, this camera phone sucked back then, but I took a super... <laughs> pixelated photo of my portable locker with a jersey that says Camarillo and it's a number four jersey and for for deep football fans they know that's not an eligible number so (laughs) not being able to catch a pass in a number four yet being a wide receiver it doesn't all add up they didn't have big plans for my future and I was number four for an entire year on a practice squad but it just shows that We'll give this guy number four. He can't wear it in a game, but he'll probably never make it to a game. <laughs> and I had the same mindset. I thought, you know, let me just enjoy this experience. This will be great. And then I got signed for training camp. My buddy said, you know, that's the best summer internship you'll ever have. I was going to be in the NFL for a summer. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> and it just kind of worked out each step of the way. And it also bought me time to improve so I could be a better receiver and actually get on the field eventually. That is awesome. That's, uh, you know, I think it's great when we hear about people who take opportunities, whether it be in a sport, an athlete doing it, or even in business and taking an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have had and really turned it into something much larger than uh, they ever expected. So congratulations for that. That is awesome. Thank you. Who were some of your influences and mentors who helped you navigate through your journey and your time during the NFL? Because as somebody who wasn't expecting to go there, I'm sure you really had to look up to people and there had to be people there that you really relied on to help you navigate that whole process and your career there. Yeah, absolutely. And I am a product of the people in and around me. And absolutely no way am I a self-made football player or nothing like that. I was able to play in the NFL because of the support I got along the way. So I always had good relationships with my coaches. My parents were super supportive the entire time when I was exploring different colleges and I was exploring different routes to play football. But for me, the biggest impact was always just watching someone that I wanted to be like and trying to emulate what they do. So every step of the way, I got a chance to watch guys at high levels. My first year in college, well, uh, Troy Walters as a, won the Belitnikoff at Stanford was an amazing wide receiver. So I came the year after him, so I got to watch tape of him, which was awesome. And then I had another senior, a guy named Durrani Pitts, who was, we'll say all league, I'm not exactly sure. He was an awesome wide receiver. And so I just would sit back and watch what he's doing and then try to emulate that. And the same thing in the pros, my first year in uh, Keenan McCardell was a veteran wide receiver who was on my team. And I just watched like, what is this guy doing that's made him play for a decade or however long he played? And so that's always been kind of my, my mindset is who do I want to be like? Who do I see myself that I can actually fit in that person's shoes? What are they doing that's made them successful? And what can I take away from their lessons? Yeah, I think that's a great lesson, not only for sports, but life and business also. If people would just kind of take a look and find somebody that they aspire to be like and just kind of be a sponge and take it all in, it's, it's tremendous. 
You brought up something about your parents a moment ago. And, you know, I have kids who are student athletes, athletes. My 14 year old, who's soon to be 15 year old, still has very high aspirations for, you know, professional sports. What's the conversation like with your parents at the point where, hey, you got into Stanford, you're playing football, but then it's coming to the end and you still have these aspirations for the NFL? Yeah. What kind of support did you receive there? Great support. My parents, they could sense that I always I had a drive to keep playing football. My last three years in college, although I enjoyed them, we sucked as a team. We won 10, <laughs> 10 games over three years, which is trash. So I had that fire to keep playing, and they were going to support whatever avenue I went. And even if they had their hesitations, they didn't voice them. And so I left Stanford over Christmas break or you know holiday break in January, somewhere around that. Flew to Long Island in, in your land over there, there and tried out with the New York Dragons. Yeah, the arena, arena fo- football arena team. football team. Yeah, I wanted to play football so bad, and I would play any level. I, arena. Canada, NFL, Europe at the time, I didn't think the NFL was a realistic shot. So I spend three days in New York and they say free housing, but there's an old, like boarded up asylum that's out there that was, gosh, I can't remember what it was for, but it was like, hasn't been touched in 50 years. It's just, it looks like a straight It might've been Pilgrim, Pilgrim State or something like that. Or I mean, it looks like a horror movie and the right. housing is like the old staff housing in the back. So you, <laughs> your free housing, like literally is a horror movie. Right. And then I'm enjoying practice. It's uh, you know, you work out at 5am at gold, the local gold's gym. Like it's not professional football, like the right. dream. But I was so thirsty to play. They offered me a, a contract for $26,000 to come join training camp and try to make the team out of college, Twenty six grand. I, I thought I was going to be a gazillionaire off of that. Right. It was amazing. But I hadn't graduated college. And so my parents didn't say anything, but they had raised me to know better. I couldn't leave college early to go chase football in twenty six grand. So I decided to go back to school, finish college, and then the shot in the NFL worked out. But that's just an example of my parents saying, go for it. You know, you have this dream of playing football, go for it. Uh, Fortunately, I made the right decision, but they were supportive all the way through. That's awesome. And I I think that's a uh, lesson that we as parents who have kids who are playing sports and whatnot, even if you ended up not making it, what is it, a year of your life at such an early age, there's really... Nothing ventured, nothing gained at that point. So I I think that's a good lesson for everybody. Now, you bring up the lack of success when you were at Stanford, and I'm sure you get this question a lot and talk about it, which is when you were playing for the Dolphins, you had a very memorable reception, the 64-yard TD reception that you caught against the Ravens that prevented the Miami Dolphins from going 0-16 right? Yeah. Another tough season. What's your mindset going into that game and actually into that play as you executed it to prevent you from going over in that season? Yeah. Well, at the professional ranks, there's a little more of a selfish attitude than in college because you're looking out for your own career. In college, next year is basically guaranteed as long as you're not graduating. And the pros next week is not guaranteed. So there's two mindsets. One is we need to get this victory as a team. We'd been 13 straight weeks getting our rears kicked, and it, it was incredibly frustrating and draining week in and week out. You put everything you have into physically preparing for a game, emotionally preparing for a game, giving it all on your field and losing. 
Like it sucks. Did it help that your experiences at Stanford not being as successful? Did that help oh, you work man. through work through that a little better or no? No, that's a great <laughs> question. No, I hope I don't ever get, get used to losing and, and comfortable with it. But you know, you have that team mindset, I gotta get this victory for us. But then in the NFL, you have this mindset, I have to protect my own career. I gotta go out there and do the very best I can for my own career. And the losing factor actually helped my career because once you're out of the playoff hunt, it's not about like how can we prepare for this year? It's how can we prepare for fair future years? So we traded away a wide receiver. Uh, another wide receiver got hurt. And then suddenly I'm fourth on the depth chart and ready to go. And that's just the week they called my number. Right. Listen, I mean, I guess there was some luck, but who knows, right? If number one, two, or three were in that play, they may not have been able to make that catch. Yeah. Then- it's funny. One, two, and three are actually in. So they we called four wide receivers. So I was the fourth. Uh, there was no one, no one else to go to. <laughs> and this was 2007. It was not as common as it is now to have four wide receivers on the field. But like we talked about earlier is with football opportunities, I learned kind of the hard way in college when I was given an opportunity to play as a freshman, but I was not ready to play as a freshman. I failed at my opportunity that if an opportunity does arise again, I need to be ready. And this right. was a golden opportunity that they put me out there as the fourth wide receiver. And I was 100% ready and scored a touchdown, finally got a victory. And now I get to be a part of fun Dolphin Dolphins history. memories. Yeah. <laughs> Did that have any effect or change to you know your career in any way? Oh, absolutely. It was a huge catalyst and a huge point that propelled me forward. So one, it showed coaches that going into that game, I had one catch for two yards. So like my career is as wide as this computer screen that we're talking about. <laughs> and so no one really knew, could we trust Greg on the field in, in a clutch situation? We've never been tested. Well, we'd never know. So that gave coaches confidence in me. That gave teammates confidence in me. That gave confidence for myself. Sure. And so that was a big step. Yes, we can trust Greg on the field. So the next week we went up to play the Patriots and I'm getting more reps on the field, but not like, let's throw Greg out there and throw him a bunch of balls. (laughs) Right, right. But I was getting into it with, I think it was Asante Samuel, one of their cornerbacks. I was just out there to block. Him and I were just... John. Yeah, starting quarterbacks that want to cover don't like to be blocked by a backup wide receiver. It's just like, who's this pest? Get off of me. (laughs) So we were going at it. And then, you know, they called a a one receiver personnel, which is 98% of the time a run play. So I asked my receiver coach, can I go get him? And they throw me out there. And it turns out that it is just the most beautiful double move play for a wide receiver to catch a touchdown instead (laughs) of a run block. And I catch a touchdown. So So two weeks in a row, I've got touchdowns. And that propelled me forward to actually getting passes intentionally thrown to me and becoming a more trusted piece of the offense. Right. How much of it is confidence driven as far as when you're out there and playing? I mean, you said that clearly that 64 yard pass added confidence to a lot of people, including yourself. And then next week you're in a similar spot. How much of a player's success do you feel is attributed to that confidence factor? A huge part, and it's mostly the can the coaches trust you to do what they want on the field all of the time or most of the time, consistency. So I became a starting receiver the next year, and it was not because my highlights were amazing because they're not. You know, I don't do the same things that the most athletic receivers do. 
but there was just a more a higher level of consistency that coaches could trust me. If we need Greg to do this, you know, 97% of the time, and I made that number up, he's going to do exactly what we're asking. We're not going to ask him to do the most amazing things, but he is going to be the most consistent receiver. And that's what got me on the field. If a coach can trust that you are going to follow the game plan, that you're going to follow the play, you're going to know the adjustments, you have a better chance of you playing than someone that has a highlight one play, but then totally messes up the next play. Right. Agreed. So let's take a shift for a second. You know, when people think about playing in the NFL, I think there's this kind of utopia that they think they just think about those that are making these huge salaries. What is something that the average person doesn't understand about the way players get paid in the league? Yeah. Well, you don't make anything in the, well, I shouldn't say anything. You don't make much in training camp or the preseason. So all those folks that have season tickets and get charged full price for the preseason games, that goes straight to the owner's pocket. So we're making, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it, it wasn't a matter of hundreds, hundreds of dollars for a preseason game. Right. Which, I mean, it's just part of the job. You sure. It's an audition. But what I think fans would appreciate understanding is what it's like to be traded so I spent three years in Miami. I'm going into training camp of my fourth season there. And I'm just, it's just a regular day. I'm in regular meetings and I get a little tap on the shoulder. Hey, Greg, the GM wants to meet with you. And normally, if they say that, they say, bring your playbook. And then, you know, it's a wrap. When they say, bring your right. playbook, it's ugly. <laughs> but they didn't say, bring your playbook. So I'm curious what's going on there. I go up there and it's about 9, 10 a.m. And GM says, hey, Greg, do you know why you're up here? And no. Well, we just traded you to Minnesota. <laughs> and so your life gets flipped upside down. I had a, I owned a house in Florida. I had my wife now was my fiance. Then I just started graduate school, had a dog in Florida. Like my <laughs> life was in Florida. And at 10 a.m., I'm told I'm traded. My flight's at two. So you have to pack up your entire life, figure out the next plan and be on a plane to your new city in four hours. And so that it just, it's a whirlwind. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that to add, you know, ask for sympathy. Oh, poor guy. He had to go make a million bucks in Minnesota. <laughs> right. Uh, but it just, you know, it gives you kind of a better feel as to what goes on when someone's traded instead of just thinking, oh man, this will be great for my fantasy team. Right. Right. I mean, you said earlier, a lot of this, a lot of your play and your abilities and drive comes from that confidence. So at that point, it's a little bit of a whirlwind. Like you said, your confidence definitely takes a little bit of a hit because you're like, hey, what's going on here? And now you got to re-energize yourself, get confident in a whole different scheme, a whole different environment with new people. And now you're coming in as the the outsider coming in. Yeah. So it's like starting from scratch or you already feel like you're part of the team to some degree because of the camaraderie that you've had with them along the way, even playing against other, no, you know, them. Uh, no, the new guy in school, anyone that's ever switched schools understands that <laughs> feeling. Uh, you show up and you may know a guy or two just from past teams and all that, but you are absolutely the new guy in school. You have to learn everything immediately. My first game was, I think, shoot, maybe two or three days after I arrived in Minnesota. Yeah, you don't and have Brett, much time. No, and Brett Favre is my quarterback, so I can't, <laughs> I can't show up and let a Hall of Famer down. I got to get, right. my, get my stuff together. But as, like I mentioned before, I took pride in that I'm always going to know what to do. So I dove into the playbook, learned what I needed to learn. But it's you want to prove yourself right away to your teammates. You don't want to think, oh, who's this new guy? He sucks. You want to go out there and do well. And fortunately, in my first preseason game, I did decently well. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, I want to pivot for a second, you know, in terms of a little bit about life after the game, right? Yeah. And you spoke about Brett Favre a little bit earlier. He's He had a very, very long career. But on average, I think NFL careers are very short. Yeah. So how as a player do you plan for that? If you know that, hey, the average length is X and it's not very long, obviously, unless you're a Brett Favre or one of the players that has a very long career in the NFL, how do you prepare for that as a player? Yeah. Uh, so the average career, I think it's like three point something years. Right. I'm a believer that you can put 100% into your sport while still preparing for life after. It's not like I can only give football 80, well, I can 20% plan for something else. You can 100% commit to your sport, but you also still have a lot of time in the offseason. The offseason practices are maybe half a day. You get a couple total months off without anything going on. I believe that you can prepare for that next step. And, and what I did is I just explored different careers. I went to a, a broadcasting boot camp put on by the NFL. I did informational interviews, thought I wanted to be a, a, an athletic director at a college. So I sat down with an athletic director who actually ended up being my boss years later. But I learned that that's not what I wanted to do for a living. So right. in the NFL, as an NFL player, you're on this platform that people want to connect with you. And my advice to other guys is just to use that. If, you know, if that's just, hey, I'm interested in Larry Sprung, I'm interested in what you do every day. Do you mind if I just come sit down at your office for a day? You would probably say yes. 100%. That's what I want to encourage guys to do is just find those experiences. So that way you have the slightest path paved for where you want to go when you're done. And that doesn't mean you can't still be a football player. Do that 100%. But also, why not, you know, take a couple steps preparing life after football as well. And for you, the Stanford education doesn't hurt either, right? I mean... When you look at athletes and they pick schools, people who can get the best of both worlds and get a really good education and get the athletic part also helps prepare them as well, right? Absolutely. You know, the high school football season just started out here in California right now. And I'm looking at where guys have have committed. And I see like, you know, there'll just be a list of schools where it's like football full school, football school, strong academic school. And I just want to like tell the guy like, pick the academic school. You'll still play football. You can still make the NFL. You're going to be okay. But that extra preparation for those, you know, a strong academic school, the networking that you're going to do at that school, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a huge impact. And Stanford football says you're not making a four-year decision. You're making a 40-year decision. And so I would love to get to talk to high school athletes and it's not necessarily don't look for the greatest athletic opportunity. Look for that combination because that's what's going to open up doors in both directions. Yeah, I agree with 100%. Where actually my son is going to be going in the fall of 2021. He's going and he's starting college and he's a hockey player. And he kind of took that same path. He wanted to find that nice balance yeah. where he could get a great education, but at the same time continue playing you know, hockey at, yeah. a, at a high level. And I, I think that's a great point. Is the NFL encouraging or do they have tools in place to help you for life after football or like you mentioned earlier or is it very much so that the players are on their own to kind of explore and find those opportunities no the nfl provides some and does an okay job the nfl pa our players union has amazing support there's all kind of different programs there's all kind of different internships there's career counseling. They give, they paid for me to go to graduate school when I was done with college. I mean, done with football. There are a lot of programs. I think that the disconnect and where we hear a lot of guys struggling is that 
guys aren't taking advantage of that or guys aren't, I think they're aware of it, but there's a disconnect where football players aren't asking for the assistance, aren't taking advantage of the assistance. And I think it's a football mindset that works for the sport. It's about, uh, you know, just I'm fine. I, you know, I'm here for the benefit of the team. I don't need help. Let me power through this. I got this. And so the programs are there, but I'm afraid that football mindset of I'm a tough guy, I don't need help, is stopping guys from from fully embracing the support that we have. Right. I guess there could be more work done on both sides to kind of bring it, uh, you know, bridge that gap a little bit better, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, this is the Midland money mindset. And one of the things we talk about is mindset, which we've talked a lot about. I also want to talk about some financial right uh, yeah. aspects of it. What's some of the best advice that you were given during your playing career in regards to financial responsibility? You hear a lot of times players who were very successful in the NFL and then they're broke down the line. Yeah. And, you know, it's a very unfortunate thing. Some people have even been taken advantage of by their advisors in certain cases as well, which is a, you know, another tragedy and should never happen. But what are some of the advice that you got in order to be fiscally responsible? Yeah, I've always been a cheap guy. So it's, it's not really <laughs> been a problem. I'm good at saving money, but uh, good advice. So my rookie year, our wide receiver coach sat us down and it was in this is like super basic, but some guys need that. It was just like, make a list of things you want versus things you need. And it made it very clear, like, okay, you know, a diamond watch. I don't really need that. I want right. it, but I don't need it. Um, so that was on a very basic level. It's another advice I, I got that I heard a speaker say that I liked is, don't take care of Greg the kid who wanted something and didn't get something. Take care of Greg in the future. So young Greg wanted a, you know, a convertible, fast muscle car. <laughs> right. And now that I actually have some money... Don't go back and repair what Greg wanted. Think about 45-year-old Greg and what he may want and put the money in in the pocket for 45-year-old Greg as opposed to 18-year-old Greg. So I thought that was a good mindset. Not what have I missed, but what can I save for in the future? And then the last one was don't invest in something because it's sexy. Like you hear about, you know, 50 cent making a gazillion dollars off vitamin water. Like don't, don't go buy a, a water company because you think that's sexy or, or you're throwing all your money into Bitcoin or GameStop right now. Cause that sounds cool. The boring investments are going to do better justice for you. Right. And I kind of learned that the hard way. I invested in a vitamin company. Fortunately, someone found out that the guy was fraudulent somewhere along the way and I got my money back, but it was a early alert. Like, right. be careful what you're doing with your money. Well, it seems like you took a lot of, you know, those three takeaways are tremendous. And I think that they're all good advice, not only for football players. I think they're good advice for everybody in general. I think if you could stick to those three rules and use that as a uh, framework to decipher where to go and what to do, I think that those are excellent tools. You know, does the NFL or the NFLPA kind of give you guys tools like this? Do they put you in front of people that help you with these like symposiums or things like that to help you learn these lessons yeah, that you've learned? We have access to a neutral financial consultant. I, I'm not sure the exact term, but there is a company that will analyze your investments to make sure that they're sound and not necessarily giving you advice like buy this, buy that, but just overall advice. And um, so there are a lot of financial advisors and you can only imagine 
when you see a group of 20 something year olds that are making millions of dollars, how many people want to contact you to say, I can oh, manage I your money. <laughs> and so you try to build a relationship with someone, you try to trust someone, you use your friends to find out who they trust. And so I have a financial advisor, but I took advantage of the free program to go over my investments with a neutral advisor to make sure we were on the right track. And fortunately we were, and I've, oh, I've been working with the same guy for, ooh, must be 15 years or so. Awesome. But there, yes, there are safeguards there. If guys take advantage of them, that can help protect them. We get free background checks. So if, you know, if I wanted to give Larry Sprung some money to invest, right. I can send your name to somebody in the NFLPA. They'll make sure that you haven't been sued by 100 people. Mm-hmm. And there are safeguards there to help us, but that doesn't always block guys from fraud. Yeah. I mean, I had looked into, I know there's like a screening process if you want to be a quote unquote, and I may be using the wrong, wrong word, like approved advisor to NFL athletes. I had looked at that at one time. And yeah. quite frankly, I think then NFL and all the major sports, they like working with people that they know mm-hmm. and probably have a connection to the game. So I ended up not going that route, but it's good that they give you those tools for sure. Yeah. So I want to pivot for a minute to something that happened somewhat recently, and you've been very public about it, which is the death of Vincent Jackson. And you've been talking about the topic of what players go through after their time in the league is done. Can you tell us or explain to the listeners at what are some of the biggest struggles that former athletes face? Obviously, we've seen Vincent Jackson is the most recent one. We've seen others in recent years that have died by suicide because of mental illness and CTE. And I'm not even sure if you're aware, but I sit on the national board for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So something very important to me, one of the folks that sits on the board with me is Chris Thomas, which is Solomon Thomas's father, who he lost his daughter, which isn't an NFL athlete. But something that's been very talked about, and I think it's something that's becoming more common in all sports as far as What's going on with athletes, their struggles afterwards? What are these struggles that they're seeing? And, and why are, you know, are we not doing what we should be doing to prepare them for it? Yeah, well, I'll give you two of my struggles, add a third one that a lot of guys go through, and then talk about helping with that. So I've retired at 30 after eight years in the NFL, and it was not like a, I'm done with football, let me hang up my cleats. It was more like football was done with me, and there were just no longer opportunities So one of my struggles was identity. So I played 18 years of football before I turned 30. So the vast majority of my life was Greg, the football player. And once you, you know, even in high school, but college and the pros, that's kind of your daily drive. That is who you are. That is what people want to talk to you about. Someone finds out you're a football player, all conversations then become about football. And so a huge part of my identity was being a football player. And then suddenly the last, the moment, the last day I was cut, that identity is gone. And imagine, you know, taking a part of who you are and it just ceasing to exist. Larry, you're a dad. Imagine if suddenly, and this is a horrible thing to say, so uh, maybe I'll use it. Maybe you're, I will just, we'll pivot. You're a financial, <laughs> you're, you're a financial guy. Imagine suddenly you cannot be a financial Do that for guy a living. anymore. Yeah. Right. You, you would be going through Who am I? What do I do next? You know, what is my value? What is my drive? What is my purpose? So you're at a loss to start there. Another part is you've 
reached this pinnacle. You were at the peak of a career, like literally the very top in the world of your career. And then that's gone and you're starting over. And you know, you make a lot of money. So you're not starting over totally from scratch. You're doing all right financially. But you know, I was You're 30. You're 30. I'm laying in bed and I'm <laughs> got I'm, a long life ahead. I'm thinking I've got 50 plus years of life to live, hopefully. And will I ever feel the same excitement again? You know, will I ever have this same drive? Will I ever get that feeling of catching a game-winning pass and it's in with millions of people watching me? How will I ever replicate that excitement? So that's a tough thing to deal with. And then kind of we're heading with why aren't more guys taking advantage of this help? There's this mindset in football that it's the we before the me. Let me put apart, you know, push off to the side my personal issues for the benefit of the team. We've got 53 guys on a team. We all need to be pointing in the same direction for to achieve our goal. Each person can't bring in their own little issues and that's physical or at home issues. And so we're taught to suck it up. We're taught to, you know, deal with it on our own, push through it. It's going to be fine. Or even medicate. Like, you know, I had a rib injury and, you know, shoot me up so I can get to practice. Uh, you would take Toradol. I took Toradol and Vicodin to go play in a game to the point where I felt high playing a game, which was, mm-hmm. which that didn't play well, as you could imagine. <laughs> but that mindset of, let me take something or let me suck it up. I don't need to worry about my problems. Let me push through. It's going to be fine does not work in real life. If you've got right. substance abuse problems, if you've got mental health problems, if you've got relationship problems, that football player mindset, and maybe it's a broader male mindset or societal mindset of, I don't need to talk about it. Let me just push it off to the side. I'm going to be fine. Let me go about my business. That doesn't work. you know. And you do that with those type of problems that I mentioned, it's only going to get worse and worse. And so I want to see more conversations like we're having. I want to see breaking down that stigma. So guys, there's help out there. I want to encourage guys to go take advantage of it. So, I mean, do you think that player, how do you change that? You know, do players need to educate themselves better on what's life going to look like? Is it their responsibility or do you think some of that or the vast majority of the responsibility really lies on that of the league and the players association to kind of change this culture, so to speak? Oh, man, I think it's everyone's responsibility. I mean, I understand the U.S. is a capitalist society, so the NFL's goal is to make as much money as possible and they don't necessarily have to take care of their players, but they have the money to and the NFLPA is who looks out for us and they do a great job of asking or requesting or demanding that money from the NFL. I think it's more about breaking down that stigma through conversations. If guys can just former players or guys that are going through it, somebody like Solomon Thomas, who's promoting this mental health awareness, suicide prevention, big, strong, tough, scary guy saying it's okay to go ask for help. Right. Having guys like that will help. And by the way, having the support of his organization and the ownership at the San Francisco 49ers also not putting him out on a limb by himself, but getting behind him, I think is huge. Absolutely. You know, that makes it easier for him and everybody else to say, oh, I can do this too, right? Absolutely. So the more guys that are doing things like that, the more people that are having conversations like me and you and just making it normal, it's not going to happen overnight. But over time, I think we can break down that that barrier to where it is just accepted that, you know, you you're comfortable asking for help. Great. So as a former player, and you've gone through this, obviously, and you said you had some struggles yourself, what has helped you? What tools have you used to help you adjust to life after the NFL? Realizing that 
you're not going to fill the void of football with one thing. If someone asked me recently, you know, how do you fill that void that football has left in your life? There's no one thing that could just plop it back in there and then that's going to be full. But figuring out what components of football that I miss the most and trying to find those aspects in different parts of my life. One is I enjoyed the excitement and nervousness of the performance of football. Right. And then it never goes 100%, but getting to try to do it again. So I do broadcasting now on Sunday nights in San Diego, football night in San Diego comes on NBC. I get that little bit of excitement, that little bit of nervousness of a performance. It doesn't always go smoothly, but then I get to do it again next week and try again. So that's kind of the performance aspect of football. I always like being a part of a team in in and around athletics. I am an academic counselor at a a college, so I am in and around athletics and athletes every single day. And in competition, I love competition. So I signed up for an old man softball league in, in, in the neighborhood, <laughs> an old man soccer league in the neighborhood. So just finding those little components of things that I liked about football, they're not all coming from the same source in my life, but it can plop little small pieces into that sure. void and make it a, a manageable transition. Were you able to come to this realization on your own that this is how you could kind of help smooth your transition or did you actually get assistance in helping you through that process and determining that? Oh, I got all kind of assistance. I took advantage of all, all the programs. I like free stuff and they were giving me free, free programs to take advantage of. So I took advantage of the NFL paying for graduate school to go kind of find a direction as far as my career. So that's when I found my actual current career was because of graduate school. I went to two broadcasting boot camps, which allowed me to find a job in broadcasting. I went to, I've taken advantage of every health professional there is. So I've had my brain and memory analyzed. I've seen mental health counselors. I have seen like orthopedists to check on my body. All Sounds like you should be part of the NFLPA. <laughs> I take That's advantage what I'm of thinking. all this stuff. That's I'm for thinking sure. you should be a representative yeah. of their organization, perhaps. <laughs> I'm trying everything out. And some things some things work and some things don't. But if you don't try it, you, you'll never know. Right. I think that's a good point that football really has afforded you the ability to try out these other things. Absolutely. Because if you were a normal person, went to college, found a job, you know, most of us don't have the opportunity to kind of try all these things out because we haven't had enough financial stability in order to kind of do that. So I think that that's a great byproduct of what your experience is. Absolutely. It is a huge advantage that I made enough money where I am able to go. I have time to go find my passion. I don't have to jump into a job because I need a paycheck right away. So I am very grateful for the opportunity and connections that the NFL has bought me to allow me academic counselors at universities. We don't make much money. So that's certainly not something you can go do and think, well, you know, I'm just going to get rich off of that. So I am very thankful for that. Yeah, but it's fulfilling one of those needs, which you are missing from football, which is probably very rewarding and doesn't have to be financial in that regard. That's that's true. That's awesome. Well, listen, Greg, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We end every show by asking everyone the same question, which is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Oh, all right. What did I do today? Well, it's early over here on the West Coast, but today I've got three daughters that are eight, five, and three, and they have only seen snow in the summer, like just like a little patch of leftover ice. Right. But it recently snowed in the mountains outside of San Diego. So we are going to load up the car and go find some snow and throw it at each other and make some snowballs. So that's 
going to put me in a mindset of in the middle of a pandemic, finding some fun things to do and building that bond with my family. That's awesome. And I'm sure they'll probably all be better at catching those snowballs <laughs> than throwing them just because of their dad, right? Uh, I hope so. so. We'll find out. Well, listen, Greg, it's been a pleasure having you. If somebody wants to connect with you or find you on social media, and we'll have this in the show notes, where's the best place for them to reach out? Yeah, on Twitter, at Catch Camarillo. I love Twitter. I love engaging with, uh, with other tweeters. So hit me up. Awesome. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you being open, honest, and having this dialogue because I think, like you said, we're in alignment here. The more we talk about it, the more players and athletes and just people in general understand that your brain is part of your health. And if we talk about it, that there is help out there and there are opportunities to make sure that your mental health is stable. And the more we talk about it, lower that stigma, it may, it'll make a better world for all of us. So thank you for continuing that conversation and uh, make it a great day. Awesome. Thank you, Larry. I enjoyed the conversation. I want to thank Greg Camarillo for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset Show. Greg has taken a notable career in the NFL and now has turned his focus to helping the next generation of players. In addition to helping young players chart their path to reaching their dreams, Greg has also become an advocate for players to understand what comes after football. Very admirable and needed work. Greg can be found active on Twitter at Catch Camarillo, and we'll have his Twitter handle in the show notes for you as well. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandfinancial.com and be sure to smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content. And listen, please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. Be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about the mindset needed to successfully plan for and live your best life before and through retirement. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principle. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.